My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. and final message of this series. And today, the the topic I want to get after is disciple-making at work. You hang around here at sunrise very long or you're going to run into our mission statement. And Jace just talked about it a moment ago. We are here to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to be a church that makes disciples who make disciples. And that means everywhere, including in in our workplace. It also right on here, you regularly hear about our discipleship pathway, those four key words, connect, grow, serve, and lead. Have you ever thought about that in the context of work? You know, we, we exist to help people to connect with the God who created work. It was his idea through a relationship with Jesus who redeemed work, who redeems work from the effects of sin. That basically was the message of the, the first message in this series. Then we grow in our understanding of work. We grow in what it means to engage in work. That was basically the theme of last week's message. And then we learn how to to engage with work with a glad-hearted serve mindset. No matter what kind of work we're doing, no matter where we are. Because that's how King Jesus worked. And we want to be like him. And then lastly, we want to lead people at work in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So that they can experience fulfillment in their work. So this serve and lead in some ways is basically the theme of today's message. My basic assumption today is this. You aren't at work merely to do your job. You are at work as a follower of Jesus on mission with Jesus. And what is the mission of Jesus? Well, to give good news to everyone everywhere, including at your workplace. And actually then you are a a missionary then to your workplace. You are Christ's ambassador to your workplace. My question is, have you ever thought of yourself that way? The great 20th century preacher Charles Spurgeon bluntly put it. He says, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Wow. So think about it. You spend most of your waking hours... In the workplace, in relationships with your coworkers, you're going to spend, for most of us, I mean, many of us are retired or we work at home or things like that, but for most of us, for many of us, coworkers are the, the main place that we engage people in relationships who don't know Jesus. 
So when you're at work and, you, and, you're not, and you're not doing your work, you know, there's those times in the day, right? Like when you first arrive or in, in before and after meetings or shift change or maybe lunchtime. You know, you have opportunities to engage relationally with the people at work. So the question is, what do you talk about? Work, of course. But don't you also talk about your family or what you did over the weekend or maybe a house project you're working on like I just did earlier in the, you know, when I got started here? Or maybe you have some favorite hobby that you got to engage in and you want to share about that? So if you know that you are a mission, on mission with Jesus as a follower of Jesus, what do you talk about? And how do you talk about it? Well, that's what I want us to consider today. And I want to explore the topic through a story that took place in the early days of the church when the good news of Jesus Christ, you know, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, was that news was spreading throughout the known world. You know, the book of Acts contains story after story of primarily the Apostle Paul and the team that went with him. They were the primary people that were out there spreading that good news. That's what the book of Acts is all about. And so I want to look at it today, this idea of, uh, of disciple-making at work through a lens of one particular story in the book of Acts. But before I get there, I want to have, a, there's a couple of general observations I want you to want to make about the Apostle Paul that will help us here this morning. First of all, we need to know that Apostle Paul was a worker. He was a worker. He made and sold tents to earn a living. Maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't. But his interactions with people in talking about Jesus often came in the context of his work as a tent maker. The second thing is Paul didn't have some kind of canned gospel presentation that he shared with everybody all the time. No, he just committed that he was going to share Jesus and then he adapted how he did that to the context and the people that he was with. So today I want to look at the story and it's found in Acts chapter 17. And this is a story where Paul is in the great city of Athens. Now, it's not, it, it wouldn't be a surprise that he ended up in Athens because Athens was the cultural kind of center of the known world at that time. You know, if he went there and he was going to talk to the civic and economic leaders there, that he needed to because the thoughts and philosophies of, of that started in Athens kind of spread everywhere else. And so we can learn a lot from what Paul had to say and from Paul's interactions with the people of Athens. So let's dive in. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, and this is the them in there as he has that team of people. So Paul went ahead of the team of people that he was with. They came from another city. So he says he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue, which is the place of worship for the Jews, to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with all these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So the story begins with Paul arriving in Athens, and it said he was deeply troubled. I think a more direct translation would be he was angered. By all of the idols that he saw. I mean, there's idols everywhere. There's places of worship everywhere. 
And as a deeply religious and highly educated man, he could have condemned their, their, their ignorance. But rather than holding them in contempt, he engaged them in conversation. He sought out, it said, different people and he reasoned with them. I want you to note that he didn't just talk to religious people in a religious context, although he did that. It said he went to the synagogue to talk to the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. He also, it says, he engaged people in, what it, when it said, the central area of the city. You see, as I mentioned earlier, Paul was a worker. When he arrived in the city, he set up his tent-making shop in what was called the Agora, which was the, the central marketplace at the center of town. A huge central market. You found it at the, in the center of every major city in that time period. So Paul would set up his shop there, and he would engage people in conversation there. And as he worked, he also developed a good reputation. Now we can, I I infer that from this passage that he had a good reputation because it says he was invited to speak to the high council of the city, which was basically the the city hall. It was called the the Areopagus. It was basically the city hall. And and if we were, if he was, if Paul was here in, in Hillsborough, in our context, kind of the thrust of this story would be maybe Paul would come into the city and he'd set up his tent making shop at the Saturday market in downtown Hillsborough, right? He's making and selling tents. He's engaging in a relationship with others that have has shops there and the customers that come. And, and because he has such a great reputation and because he's sharing things that are somewhat controversial maybe or something curious, that kind of thing, he catches the eye of a city council member and city council member comes and talks to him and says, you know, we need to hear more about this. And so he invites him, come, come to city hall, talk to the mayor and the city council. That's kind of what, you know, we have going on here. So what I want you to know is that here in this story, the priority that Paul placed in relationally engaging in his place of work. That's what I want you to catch there. And next we glimpse a conversation that developed out of, as a result of, that relational engagement. So we continue on in verse 22. It says, so Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I noticed that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. Now again, I want to highlight God, that, that Paul could have condemned them for their ignorance, for their idolatry. He could have expressed disgust. He could have turned down their invitation because I don't want to go hang out with people that have those kind of beliefs. But no, he went and he showed interest in them. And notice he, he observed what was important to them. Okay, there's shrines and idols all around the city. That was obviously important to the Athenians. And he observed that. But again, rather than being disgusted or turned off by it, he said, hmm, I wonder, I wonder how, where I could use this in my engagement with them. And so he came across this one. It says, this is, this is an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. Now, this was an important part of Athenian history, actually. Uh, there's legend had it that, that centuries prior, and years prior to that, there was this plague that hit the city of Athens. And they prayed to every god, and they had all these altars, so there's all kinds of things going on trying to solve this plague, and nothing could solve the plague. Somebody got the brilliant idea, maybe there's another god out there that we don't know. So they set up an altar to worship this unknown god, and lo and behold, the plague went away. And so they kept the altar around as a reminder of what happened, but also maybe to keep their options open, right? The thing thing we need to pay attention to is Paul knew the story. 
Paul knew this was important to them. And so this is where he started. He started with something that was important to them that he could then connect to the larger story of God, which is where he goes in the next part of his converse, on the conversation, verse 24. He said, he is a God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands that can't serve his, that can't, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. And some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So I want you to notice in that how quickly Paul summarized the biblical story. All the way back to Genesis, right up to where they are right now. He quickly connected them to God's bigger story going on all around. And at the end here, what I want you to highlight in verse 28 there, is that he didn't quote the Bible to them. He quoted their poets to him. The quote there in this, and some, some translations will have this also in quotes, because this may also be, there's a, some debate around that one, but this one, pretty much all the translators are, no, there's, this comes from one of their poets. And I'm just fascinated by that. Paul didn't start with what was important to him. He started with what was important to them. He knew not only their history, he knew their literature. He, he paid attention. He knew what was important to them. He knew how to do that. He did his homework with the, uh, and the, about the world of those with whom that he built relationships. I also want you to notice how he moved subtly from this generic spirituality of an unknown God to a relationship with a personal God. For those of us who live in the Portland area, this is really important for us to pay attention to because we too live in a very spiritual place. Now, we don't have altars and worships and, and places where um, shrines all around with idols, but there's a lot of idolatry around, around us and there's this generic spirituality. But we can know there's very few irreligious people in Portland. There's this generic spirituality and, and what we can do is Go connect with the generic spirituality and help them connect to the idea that there is a God, a real person that, that they can know and be known by. So here's how I would summarize what Paul did and what we can do. It says, rather than building a wall of condemnation, Paul built a bridge of understanding. Paul built a bridge of understanding. Paul knew their history. He knew their literature. He knew, used this knowledge to create a relational bridge. He then crossed that bridge and introduced a, the gospel in a way that fit that context. Now, what I want you to, to see next is how he connects to truth as they knew it, which was, which was in that, you know, the poets, right? Connect the truth as they knew it to the truth of the gospel. That's what he goes next in verse 29. He says, and since this is true, what, again, that's quoting from their poets, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance in these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins, to turn to him, for he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead." Paul's basic point, God isn't some spiritual thing out there, some generic spiritual force. It's not even multiple gods. There's this one God and he is nearby. He is near. 
And, and he has a plan that makes sense. And that plan calls for a response. In particular, this response is repentance. To turn from, idol, from worshiping idols, turn toward worshiping the person of the God who created them. Now, I find it both fascinating and instructive that Paul never mentioned the name of Jesus in this presentation. That wasn't that he was opposed to that. In fact, in pretty much every other instance we see Paul sharing the good news, he's sharing about the name of Jesus. But here he in, intuited, you know, he, he thought may, maybe it's better to intrigue them with this. It wasn't that he compromised the gospel and, or they caved to their beliefs. No, he still included a rather controversial thing, the new, thing that he knew would get their attention, which was raise this guy from the dead. You know, resurrection would be something that would kind of get them riled up. But he didn't, he, he, he knew his audience and he adapted what he did to fit the context that he was in. Now, if you finish out the story, you'll see that Paul received three responses to this, to this presentation. No, maybe, and yes. Some said, what an idiot. You are talking nonsense and turned away and said, forget this. Others said, hmm, that's interesting. I want to know more. And others said, I, basically, I got to get what you have. And they trusted, they put their trust in Jesus. When you think about it, those are the only three responses we can have when we talk to people about the gospel. And I find it, I personally find it helpful that this is the Apostle Paul. And he had some people reject his message. It reminds us that people's response, that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to relationally engage those around us and introduce the gospel, the good news of Jesus, as opportunity arises. So what does this story mean for us today? I, I have four takeaways for us today. I'm going to call them the keys for being a disciple maker at work. And the first one is to remember Jesus is not just for Sundays. Jesus is central to all of life. My friends, every good thing you have to offer in your work or through your work is merely an overflow out of God's goodness to us in Jesus. Do you believe it, church? Do you believe it? Yes. Jesus is central to everything. He's not just for Sundays. Second thing, keep a good reputation at work. It's irreplaceable. It's really all we have is our reputation or our integrity. And so we, we serve at work as if we're working for Jesus. As Paul puts it in his letter to the Colossians, he says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. So arrive on time. Put in a full day's work. Pursue excellence in everything that you do. Be known as a contributor rather than a complainer, right? These things. Build a good reputation at work. Then you will, that will give you access. That will give you permission in, 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 in to engage in relationships. People will seek you out to talk about matters of, that are of most importance. Third thing. Build relational bridges with coworkers by connecting to what's important in their world. So this isn't about seeing workers or seeing your coworkers somehow as targets for the gospel. This is about building genuine relationships and then including the gospel along the way because it's so important and it's life-giving. Building bridges means understanding their world and what's important to them. Then taking the opportunity to speak into their context in a way that invites them to take a next step towards Jesus. 
Now, I have a good friend here locally in the area. His name is Kent, and he's my hero when it comes to this. He sees himself as a, as a pastor in the marketplace, basically. That's a mindset that he has. And, I, and he, whenever I meet with him, he shares stories about what, you know, kind of the relationships, the engagement that he's having with people in the workplace. He's a swing shift supervisor at a local manufacturing company. And in his role as a, as a, as a line manager, a lot of the people that come in the door to work there, you know, it's kind of an entry-level position, and he gets a lot of, he gets a lot of broken people, specifically young men, specifically young men without fathers. That just seems to be who comes his way. And so he ends up becoming kind of like a father figure to them. And he told me a story not that long ago about how in, in a short order of time, three of those guys had some kind of older figure, person that kind of was really important in their life in absence of the father who had died. So three, like in a short period of time. And, and they came and talked to him because he was like that father figure to them. And he had, not that long before that, had lost his father and had done his grief work there. And so he had the opportunity to listen to them and to offer some basic grief counseling. But he didn't stop there. At, at the end, he asked him a simple question. He said, can I add you to my prayer list? That's not that hard, right? But what it let him know is that he's a believing, praying person. And they didn't mind. In fact, they communicated gratitude. And he's never had anybody say no to that, including those three men. Now, I need to say something about expectations as you build these relationships with your coworkers. Uh, People who don't know Jesus won't act like people who know Jesus. I, I, I know that sounds simple, but it's amazing how quickly we can get offended by the behavior of people that we work with because it's like, oh, how do you even do that, right? You know, I would never do that, you know, because, but why? Well, because I follow Jesus. So if they don't follow Jesus, how would they know? It's really important to, to kind of work with our own sense of offense. Now, we're not going to go join them in some of that activity, but we might be there with them so we can have a relationship and maybe that gives us an opportunity to engage in conversation. Another example from my friend Kent. He once had a gay coworker who was, mar- who was married to another man. Now, Kent believes in biblical sexuality and the idea that marriage is designed for one man and one woman for a lifetime. And as such, he doesn't believe in or agree with same-sex marriage. The same time when this, when this coworker came to him and he was in a place of despair in his relationship and was contemplating divorce, Kent said to him, you know, marriage isn't easy. You have to fight to stay married. And the guy was kind of like, oh, wow. Yeah, thank you, Ken, for saying that. So rather than condemn him, he took the opportunity to speak truth into the context that he had himself. Truth within the opportunity that he had. Did you catch that? The opportunity to speak truth as you have opportunity. I have so many examples I could share from Kent. Uh, uh, one more just to show that you can use humor in this. Um, so so Kent, Kent works in a manufacturing environment. As you can imagine, it's, it can be a little gruff. Uh, sarcasm is kind of the, the, the language of everybody there. And, you know, busting each other's chops is a thing. And so he had this maintenance uh, chief uh, that was an, a recovering alcoholic. And he believed in a higher power that is, you know, as AA talks about. But he didn't believe in a personal God. Now, Kemp finds that unsatisfying, you know, and, and so he has engaged in opportunity and conversation. And so there's one time, particular time, he and the maintenance chief, they're out on the line, they're working on a machine that was broken down and had the entire assembly line shut down. So you can imagine it was rather stressful. And, and in a particularly exasperating moment where they couldn't figure out what to do next, 
Kent kind of jabs him and says, hey, how about you, you know, throw up something to that higher power of yours and I'm going to pray to God to get this thing fixed. <laughs> you know, just an opportunity to bust his chops a little bit. But in the environment they have, that's what they do. And he's building a bridge. He's building a conversation in hope that one day he would have the opportunity to introduce that maintenance chief to Jesus, which we know in here is the true higher power. Well, Kent would be the first to say he's not some super special Christian. He has simply made it a point to be physically, emotionally, and spiritually present to his coworkers. He gets to know them. He genuinely cares for them as people. He regularly asks if he can pray for them. And then he looks for opportunity to speak truth into the opportunities that he has. Number four. Seek opportunities to cross the bridge and introduce the Gospels in ways relevant to their lives. So this means seeing yourself as a disciple maker at work. Seeing your workplace as the context to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus. Now I realize this can sound intimidating and you may feel inadequate. I know I did when I first, you know, left college, was in going ahead and into the workforce, and, and I had received guidance, some good guidance and some discipleship in college, and to, to see life this way, to see going to work in, in kind of this two lens of doing good, excellent work and being a disciple maker. And so I entered in, and I'm working at the Boeing Airplane Company up in Seattle as an aerospace engineer, and, and so I knew that on the one hand, I wanted to, to design simulation software to the best of my abilities. Pretty cool job, by the way especially when you got to check out the software and the full cockpit simulators. So it's a good job, but I also saw myself as a disciple maker. Now, you got to know, hang out with me more than a few minutes and you'll discover I'm not all that relational. I'm really not. And I'm certainly no natural evangelist. So I had this sense of calling, and yet it created this tension in me, this sense of anxiety, you know, because even just being in relationships with people is hard enough, but much less, what does it mean to share the gospel? What I found helpful is in a particular training series, it was called Living Proof, and it talked about a process-oriented approach to sharing the gospel, to help people take a next step towards Jesus. I'm going to put a, char- a, a diagram up here, and I realize I'm breaking some PowerPoint rules in this because it's small print on there, but I hope you can see enough, and if you grab some sermon notes, I included it in there. But on this, I want you to see a couple, I want to highlight a couple of things. First of all, this was the first time I understood the idea of these three roles. You have God's role— you have my role and you have their role, okay? Just keep it in your lane. That's, you know, their response is not my responsibility. Converting them in some way is not my responsibility. My responsibility is in the middle. So you have God's role, which his, his job is to reveal himself. He's pretty good at that. To convict people of sin. He's pretty good at that. To regenerate, to actually transform people into followers of Jesus. That's his job, okay? He's pretty good at it. And then to sanctify them or to make them more like Jesus. Still, his job. Our job is through the lens of, a, of, a, of farming, of gardening, right? All the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And if you read the stories of Jesus, he most often talks about this idea of sharing the kingdom of God through the lens of sowing and reaping. So our job. Cultivate the soil, sow the seeds, pick the crop, you know, and then, and then grow it, you know, grow in the cycle. So that's our part here. What I found most helpful was the other, the other side, and this is where it gets harder to read, but notice how it goes from minus 10 up to plus 6. And I don't know, maybe it's because I'm an engineer. I found that so helpful. There's numbers. Okay, I can figure out where they are and then help them take one step closer. I don't have to take them all the way. 
And so if minus 10, no conscious awareness of a supreme being, agnostic, all right. So how can I engage them in conversation in a way that they might say, oh, now I believe there's a God. Okay, now I believe there's a God, but is that God knowable? Can I go, well, let me introduce you to this person of Jesus, a real historical figure. And oh, by the way, let's talk about, did you ever look, consider the Bible, right? And then maybe they believe in the idea of God. Maybe they believe God's knowable. Have you ever met this Jesus? Uh, Did you know that Jesus not only lived then, but he lives now? I mean, see how he progressed, progressed, progressed. I found this so helpful because it took off some of the pressure, a lot of the pressure that I felt. So what this meant was, okay, how can I help them take one step closer to Jesus? And sometimes this meant simply saying, talking about what I did at church over over, over the weekend. Sometimes it was spending extra time listening and caring for them when they were going through something really hard in their lives. Sometimes it meant asking a question. What do you believe about God? What do you believe about spiritual, spirituality? What did you do? Do you attend a place of worship over the weekend? Something like that. Sometimes I had the opportunity to share my story of why Jesus was so important to me and how I came to meet him. Sometimes these conversations took place in the workplace as opportunity arose. Other times... On the golf course, on the ski hill, on the basketball court, at a movie theater, as we were building relationships together, as we were just enjoying one another in that way. Over the course of the, the, the five years that I worked at the Boeing Airplane Company, I had the opportunity to share the, to share the gospel with about 40 of my coworkers. And of those, two, two ended up making decision to follow Jesus. Now, is that a success or failure? It's God's business how people respond. But I got the opportunity to experience that as part of being a disciple maker at work. Because I knew that I was at Boeing, not merely to do my job. I was there on mission with Jesus as a follower of Jesus. Well, in this series, as, as you know, we've been taking the opportunity to, to introduce you or to share the story of someone just right here at Sunrise that's living out the gospel at work. And today I want you to hear from Kimo Sanchez, who took, takes his love for boxing and his love for coaching and uses that as an opportunity to gauge, engage in the mission of Jesus. So let's, let's watch this together. Aloha, everybody. My name is Kimo Sanchez, and I lead the Sunrise Boxing Team. That is correct. Sunrise Church has a boxing team. I grew up in a boxing world, fourth generation, um, been around world champions, Olympians. uh, And when I moved up here for Intel, I started boxing. That gym actually brought me into a relationship with Christ, not a religion. And uh, fast forward to, say, two years ago, three years ago, when Pastor James talked about the great commission that we all had, I tried it in different avenues, and I went back to coaching. And that's when I learned that you can actually use boxing to show Christ's love and to spread his message. I just felt there was a need out there for a more opportunity for people that didn't have money for the gyms. And I approached Sunrise Church and of course, you know, they walk it, they just don't talk it. They said, let's do it. Now we moved up into this beautiful facility that God has blessed us with, with the support and and all the donors. And um, we now have just got our first national champion, Junior Olympics, 90 pounder. It's just for everybody. It's a family environment. We come, we love, we have community, and we just uh, try to show Christ's love and his light through boxing. It is such an honor, privilege, and a beautiful thing to see my past experience, my passions, along with my passion for Christ, 
to see it used to point people to Christ in this boxing game. We just had three baptisms this past week. Amazing. I hope you guys enjoy the video. But my question is to all of you guys. Where's your passion? And how can God use that to bring more people to Him?